Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit our website, nbcmetairie.org. Now here's this week's message. This morning, I want to ask that you would turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to continue our Acts sermon series, and I am just so excited that you are here. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to be in the book of Acts as we continue to walk through this. Hopefully, you were able to get a set of notes on your way in. If you're joining with us online, you can go to nbcmetairie.org, and uh, you can click on uh, worship and services, and you'll be able to look up a, a set of notes there. Today, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 24. Uh, we're going to, Acts, oh, sorry, Acts chapter 16. We'll be in verses 24 through through 40, and uh, as you're turning there, uh, I, I want to share with you something that I've just I've been observing about. I read something about this, and I was like, you know what? That's so true. You know, when you're at the airport, now of course I haven't flown in, in, a, in a little while these days, but when you're at the airport and you're getting ready to to get on your flight, have you ever looked around? There's different people all over the airport, you know, and as everyone's kind of rushing around, you got people that are late, you got people that are early. You got people that have done this a million times and you got people that haven't done it, you know, but maybe once or twice in their life. And so, so you got all these different people, but, but I've noticed that there's these two primary categories. You've got a group of people that, uh, that they have a confirmed ticket. They've got a confirmed ticket. And then you've got this other group of people that are on standby, okay? And, and, uh, and I've looked at them, and, and you know, the people that have a confirmed ticket, by the way, I'm always the one that has a confirmed ticket. I don't ever want to go to an airport and be put on standby. But as you go there and you see the people that have the confirmed ticket, they're just hanging out. They're, they're, you know, sometimes they've got these little clubs that you can go to. Sometimes they're just sitting in their chair. You know, they're talking, they're playing on their phone. Sometimes they're even taking a nap. Have you seen these people? It's like, it's like they live in airports. You know, they got the whole thing. They could, you know, they got the mask over their eyes and they're taking a nap. There's just such a, a calmness and a peace about the people that have a, a confirmed ticket. But then you've got those other folks that are on standby. And the standby people, it's a whole nother story. These guys, they are, they're standing around the counter. Sometimes they're pacing back and forth. They're, they're, there's almost like a, a nervousness to them because, because they do not have a confirmed flight. And you know, when you have that confirmed flight, even if there's a delay, even if there's a change in the gate, and even, quite honestly, if there's a flight cancellation, having that confirmed ticket puts you in a position of assurance. I've got my ticket. I know where I'm going. Even if I'm here for a little while, I know where I'm going. Here's what I want to I tell you. When you give your life to Christ, you have the assurance that your ticket is confirmed. You have that assurance. You have that confidence. You don't have to wonder if you're going to heaven. You can know that if you've repented of your sin, if you've trusted Christ, that your ticket is punched. And we've been talking last week and this week we're in part two of a, of a little mini series called Victorious Authority. And I want you to know that your salvation gives you that assurance. Paul and his companions have been traveling and they have been sharing the gospel. They're on their second missionary journey. They've been going through all different places that you can see out here on the screen. They started out at Antioch. They've gone and they encouraged the churches through Durba and Lystra, Iconium. This is, by the way, where the Apostle Paul got 
beaten in his previous missionary journey and left for dead. They actually stoned him and thought that he was dead and they just left him there. Um, but he actually came back to those places, encouraged the churches. The churches continued to grow. And then he, can, he went on his journey. And as you can see up here, you got a couple of different places. I don't know if you can see up there at the top. You got in white up there. You got a place called Bithynia and Mysia. Underneath Mysia is where uh, ancient Asia was. Anytime your Bible talks about Asia, it's not talking about places like China, Korea, Japan, things like that. It's talking about modern day Turkey. That's uh, the area where Asia was. And God wouldn't let him go north. God wouldn't let him go south. And he's going, Lord, I'm, I'm here to share the gospel. I'm here to do your work. This is good stuff that you've called me to do. And in this little city you can see right here called Troas, that's where Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man. He says, come on over into Macedonia. That's the area across the Aegean Sea that you see right there. And so Paul goes across the Aegean Sea. He goes into, he passes this little port city called Neapolis and he gets into the city of Philippi. And Philippi is a big bustling Roman city, but it doesn't have a very big Jewish presence. In fact, we find out that it doesn't even have a synagogue in it. And so here, God has called him and he's never really been in this place before. And so for him to step out, this is whole new territory. Has God ever asked you to step out into whole new territory? Has God ever asked you to go or do something and you didn't quite have your bearings? Well, you can know that you have victorious authority authority that even if you get in a situation that you're not sure how to handle that quite right that you can say Lord Jesus I'm just going to submit myself to you I know I've got my salvation I know those things are said I'm just going to keep following in the direction that you've called me to and that's what we've been talking about this victorious authority and so that's where we're going to pick up we see that he witnesses to a a woman uh, named Lydia in the early part of, of chapter 16, she's converted, her whole family is converted, and then uh, this whole time that they're there, they've got this little, they've got a, a girl who's essentially she's a fortune teller, and I told you guys last week, she's not a fortune teller like we might see down here in the French Quarter. This girl made big money because the generals of the different armies would come to them and say, I'm getting ready to go into war. Will you tell me what the outcome's gonna be? If I do this or if I do that, she made big money for her slave masters. And so she walks around, she's got this demon inside her which can recognize that Paul and Silas and Timothy are godly men. And she just keeps saying over and over, these are servants of the most high God. And finally, Paul just gets tired of it. And he turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus, you come out of her. This demon comes out, which is amazing, but now her slave owners have no way of making this big money anymore. So what happens is they beat Paul and they beat Silas to the point that they're bleeding and bruised and they throw them into a jail cell, not just any jail cell, the innermost jail cell that they have right here at Philippi. And that's where our story picks up today. In fact, I'm gonna back up one verse. Let's go to verse 23 in chapter 16 and you can look with us on your 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 bible or your tablet or your phone and it says this after they had severely flogged them and threw them into jail ordering the jailer to guard them carefully receiving such an order he put them look at this in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks now we talked a little bit about this that doesn't seem like victorious authority 
Maybe you've been in a position that you were following God. I mean, you were following God to a T, his exact will for your life. And it got you in a position and a place that you go, God, is this really your will? Because uh, this is a dark and dreary place to be. And so sometimes following in God's will and following him in victorious authority gets us in places that we don't want to be. Nevertheless, we don't give up. And neither did Paul and Silas. Look at verse 25 here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that amazing? They weren't pouting. They were praising. They were praying. They could have been pouting. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get in a position, I'm like, Lord, why? Why, why, why? And man, God says, you know what? You probably should be praising me. So they're praying, they're singing hymns to God and the other prisoners are listening to them. So they're being a good witness to the other prisoners. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up, he saw the doors of the prison standing open and he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. During this day and age, if your prisoners got away, that was a death sentence for you. You know, we had, I, I was just watching the news briefly um, this past week and I saw about, you know, four guys got away in, in New Orleans. They were able to catch them all, all that kind of stuff. If this had happened in Philippi, some heads would roll quite literally. And so here, that, that's what, so he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to be tortured by my superiors. I'm not going to be drugged through the streets for, for losing anyone there. And so he's pulling out his own sword. He's getting, to, he's getting ready to run himself through. And then look at what happens. But in verse 28, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. I mean, this guy is scared. And, and, and he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, he recognized that they had a power and an assurance that he didn't have. These guys are singing. These guys are praying. These guys are, are they have, you have something that I don't have. What do I have to do to be saved? And so he goes on, he tells them in verse 31, it says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone else in the house and he took them the same hour and night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. They, the entire family gets converted. They all give their hearts to Jesus. In verse 34, it says that he brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with this entire household. Do you see? His ticket got punched. You see, he, he, he was on standby. He didn't know what to believe or what to do. His whole life is on standby. and He's getting ready to run himself through. He gets saved and now he's got an assurance. He's got a confirmed ticket. Do you see how that changes his demeanor? He's full of joy. He's full of peace. And then in verse 35, it says, When daylight came, this is interesting, the chief magistrates, those are the leaders of the city, sent the police and said, Release those men but Paul said to them they beat us in public without a trial although we are Roman citizens and they threw us in jail and now they're gonna send us away secretly oh no certainly not on the contrary let them come themselves and escort us out now you got something that's going on here Paul and Silas they were Roman citizens they were Roman citizens 
They were born in Roman citizens. Now, there were different ways that you could come across citizenship. You could buy your citizenship. If you were a slave, you could, you could work uh, to a point where you could earn your citizenship. There are even soldiers that we'll find out that, that had to do certain requirements in order to have their citizenship. But Paul and Silas, they were born into their citizenship. And this meant something. This was, no, this was no small thing. You know, sometimes in our day and age, citizenship is kind of the lines are, are being blurred more and more. In this day and age, citizenship was heavy. In fact, you could not be tried uh, or you could not be beaten. In fact, what they did was entirely illegal. They should have had a trial um, if you were convicted of treason or something against uh, the, uh, the Roman Empire. You were not allowed to be crucified. Crucifixion was for non-citizens. And so for them, this was a way they would say, you know, they might behead them or something like that. And we, we believe that later on that, um, that the Apostle Paul was beheaded. But part of that was because of his, his citizenship. And then, so he says, you come and you escort us out. And then look at what happens in verse 38. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Why were they so afraid? Because their, their entire position could have been revoked because of this. I mean, they were subject to severe disciplinary action. In fact, this city in Philippi, they, they could actually revoke uh, Roman authority in Philippi. I mean, that would be the extreme case, but they could actually revoke a, a Roman authority in Philippi and say, you know what, this is no longer a Roman province if they had gotten in, in trouble enough. And, and so they're scared. They're worried. And then in verse 39, so they came to appease them and escorted them from prison. They urged them to leave town. And after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. And I've always wondered, I'm like, why did Paul wait till the last minute? You know, if it were me, that cane would have been coming. And I would, you know, hey, do you know I'm a Roman citizen? You know, I would have been thinking about then. Nevertheless, after all that had been taking place, there were not any Christians in the area. We find that there were, you know, some, some Jewish women in the area, but there was no presence of Christians, no, no church. And so I personally believe that the Apostle Paul was setting precedents. You mess with these Christians, if that's your first, you know, encounter with Christians, you know, then, then maybe they're going to leave them alone in this area as far as the magistrates and the, the leading officials are concerned. You know, but these guys were, were persecuted. And, and, and I want us to hear this loud and clear that we can be walking in victorious authority and we could still be persecuted. Uh, I think of uh, the, the missionary William Carey. We actually have a college uh, in, our, um, in the southeast about, uh, called William Carey College. But you may not know that William Carey was a missionary to India. And, and I loved what he said. And he was in uh, the late 1700s. Uh, early 1800s and so he spent some time in Calcutta amongst other places during that time and, and, and listen to what he said listen to what he said he said though I was deserted and persecuted by all yet my faith fixed on the sure word do you hear his assurance do you hear that his ticket is punched on the sure word would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. And so if you got your notes this morning, I put that quote in there, but I've also put some other things, some little blanks. And I, if you got a pen, just kind of jot some of these things down very briefly. In your victory in Christ, when you have victory in Christ, it gives you the assurance even when, write this down, when you're persecuted. 
even when you're persecuted. We see that in that verse 23 and 24, here they are, they're thrown in the inner cell, they're bleeding, they've been beat up, they've gone through the trials. And let me tell you something, persecution comes in all shapes and sizes. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's very physical. I'm about to read a, a testimony that I came across this past week um, that actually came out in an article this past week. But let's just be honest. Persecution can happen in the workplace. It can happen at, at school with the other kids. It can even happen with your teachers. In fact, I, I would just expect it to happen with your teachers. Persecution, let's just, let's just be honest. Persecution can even happen with people that say that they're godly. Look at Jesus, persecuted by the Pharisees, very religious, but they were persecuted nonetheless. Persecution comes in all different shapes, in all different sizes, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. I, I came across an article with Open Doors. It actually came out on Wednesday of this past week. Open Doors is an organization. You can look them up online when you have a chance. It's an organization that, that tracks Christian persecution around the world. And they did an article this week on a young woman named Manga who lives in Nigeria. Now, uh, last year alone in Nigeria, of, the, of all the people who gave their lives for the cause of Christ, Nigeria had 80% of those deaths. This is a dark place. It's the number one country in the world right now that is just so dark. People have been giving. In fact, I think over the past decade, I heard the, the statistic that something like, like 60 to 65,000 people, Christians, our brothers and sisters, have given their lives for Christ. And so this Manga uh, who's been attacked, her family had been attacked, her father had been killed, her brother left for dead after an attack by Boko Haram. And they were interviewing her. And listen to what she says. Listen, in light of that assurance, in light of that victorious authority, in light of Paul and Silas singing in the prison cell, listen to what she has to say. She said, once you're a Christian in Nigeria, your life is always at stake, especially in the northeastern part of Nigeria. Most dominant, most populated there are Muslims. And she goes on to say, as shocking as it may look, when we were attacked, we were not surprised because we know that it boils down to the fact that we're simply Christians. Nearly a decade after her father's death, Manga described herself as a stronger Christian who practices her faith publicly and amid increased danger. This is what she said to kind of sum up the article. After the attack, the way I practice, the way I worship, it changed me. It gives me the resilience to practice my faith more, to worship all the more. We prayed all the more. We seek the face of God all the more. And the Holy Spirit is always there to encourage us. I wonder if like her, that it would change the way we lived our lives if we saw persecution, not as the exception, but as the rule, I, then it wouldn't surprise us. It wouldn't catch us off guard. We'd be prepared mentally and emotionally and, and spiritually. And, and just as the, the scripture said, I want to put this the scripture up here on the screen out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, who he's on this journey with right now. And he tells Timothy, this is towards the end of Paul's life, but he says, in fact, all, that's not some, 
That's all. He says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's the rule. It's not the exception. And so for us to say, you know what? In my victory in Christ, my salvation, I still have the assurance no matter what I walk through. I don't know what you're going to walk through this week. I don't know what your week's going to look like, but I know this. No matter what comes your way, no matter who comes against you, you can know that God is still working in your life despite persecution and despite the circumstances. Just expect it. Just expect it. The same way Paul did and Silas did. Second thing I want you to write down this morning is that your victory in Christ gives you assurance when you are praising, when you are praising. This is so, so good when we see in verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas, man, these guys are praying and they're singing hymns to God, it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, last week, I really focused in hard on our prayer life. This week, I wanna talk to us uh, about your, your praise life. Do you know your praise life is just as important as your prayer life. I know a lot of times we focus in on praying and reading God's word, and those things are, are highly important. In fact, those are some of the most important things you can do in your walk. But I never wanna take away from your praise life. You need to have a praise life. Paul and Silas, they had a praise life. And you know what? It definitely, it was glorifying God. It was moving to him. And that's the key. You know, it's all about God. It's not about us. He must increase. I must decrease. But let me tell you, that there's another side to our praise life is that praise, like prayer, is a weapon against the enemy. Have you ever thought of it like that? Your praise life is like a weapon against the enemy. Now, I'll give you kind of a, an idea of how this works, even in uh, the way that I, I grew up. Uh, I've been blessed to, uh, to live in two places that had fun football teams, okay? We didn't always win. Sometimes it's hard, but we've had, you have a fun time going to some of these football games. So many of you guys know that I, I went to Mississippi State University and, uh, you know, home of the Bulldogs. Amen. And so we had, you know, going to football games there is a different kind of experience because we have, we have the most obnoxious instrument in the SEC because we believe in more cowbell, Okay. Some of y'all know this. If you've ever been to a state game, if they've come down and play LSU or in here, you know, sometimes they play it in the dome. This is the most obnoxious instrument to the point that sometimes they've outlawed them. They kind of have this kind of come and go with, with bringing them in there. If you've ever been to a game with 50,000 to 100,000 people with cowbells, this thing is loud. I mean, this is ear piercing loud and here's what I have found when I was in that environment the other team they're doing everything they can they're trying to cover the holes in their helmet I mean they're doing everything they can to communicate it disrupts the other team and then of course I moved here to New Orleans and we have the Superdome and the Superdome as you know because it's enclosed only holds about 75,000 people when it's really full you know you get in this thing and, and you'll always hear, hear newscasters and they'll say it's loud in here you guys can't under you guys don't understand how loud it is you're watching on TV and sure enough you see the other team the same thing they're covering their ears when you get in there and everyone's yelling and everyone's screaming everyone's having a, a great time there it disrupts the other team I want you to hear this loud and clear when you praise God despite your circumstances it is a weapon that disrupts the enemy it is a weapon that disrupts the enemy and I've learned the more I cheer for the home team team Jesus when I praise it the enemy can't stand it and it activates God's 
power. And here, what do we see? We see right here that there's, there's an earthquake. An earthquake begins to happen. But this isn't the only place in Scripture. I'm not just isolating this. Think about the walls of Jericho. This is a story that many of us have grown up with. I want you to march around the city, okay? And then on that seventh day, at the very end of the seven times that you go around, what does he say? I want you to give a, a, a big trumpet sound, and I want everyone to shout. And on that shout, what happened? The walls began to fall. I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, the story of, of King Jehoshaphat. There was a time when King Jehoshaphat, he's in Jerusalem, and he's got three different armies that are coming against him. Three. Did he panic? No. He got on his knees and he prayed, weapon number one. God uses a prophet, says, you're going to go out and face them. I want you to put your praise band, their praise band, the Levites, I want you to put your praise band in the front and they're going to lead you guys out. And as they were praising and worshiping, going into battle, then these armies began to get confused and they turned on each other. Jehoshaphat walks out into the battlefield and everyone's dead and all that came on the tail of their praises. Praise is a weapon. I want you guys to see that. It's so important, even for our own lives, that we have forgotten this secret. We have forgotten how much giving glory to God activates his power in our lives. And so here, Paul and Silas, man, they have, they have this is a damp, dark cell. They are in prison, but they are singing. And I want you to hear, sometimes we sing and we praise and things don't just happen immediately. And I want you to hear that's okay. Because can I just tell you about one more person in the Bible? Tough, tough situation. Can we put it up here on the screen? The story of Job. Man, he lost property, lost his kids, lost his health. He lost everything. And I want you to see this. At this, after he got the news that he had lost his kids, he had lost a lot of his, his wealth. Some raiders came in and took it. At this, Job got up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. That was a way of showing that you were mourning. That was a way of physically showing that you were mourning. He fell to the ground in worship and said, let's go on to verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You guys might have lost something this past year, past two years. It's happened. And, you know, the more people that I get text messages from and that they, they tell me this person died or that person died or this has happened and that happened, this is what I go to. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but may the name of the Lord be praised. You can find, I'm telling you from experience, that your praise, when you have that assurance in Christ, that praise is a weapon and that praise, there's nothing quite like it that will lift your spirits. The third thing that I want you to write down this morning is that your victory in Christ gives you assurance when you're promoted, when you're promoted. Pastor Dan, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I'll show you. As we get into to this point, it says that, you know, you, there's this earthquake in verse 26. Suddenly there's a violent earthquake. The foundations of the jail were shaken. All these doors are coming open. Jailer is getting ready to run himself through, okay? Paul calls out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. He calls for lights. He Fell. Now, don't miss this. Look at verse 29. He fell down. He rushes in. He fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorts them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is so cool. A lot of times we go, man, I, I'm nothing. 
God, how am I? I feel like the low man on the totem pole. In fact, God took the lowest men on the totem pole. They are in the, the, the innermost part of the jail cell. It, they're wounded. They're beat up. They're chained. They're shackled. They're humiliated. All of this. And then what should happen? God moves in the midst of their praises and they are promoted. No title, by the way. Let me just kind of emphasize that real quick. A lot of times when God promotes you and he's working in your life, he's not going to give you a title. He's just going to give you assurance. He's not going to give you president of this organization, or he's not going to give you chief of that organization, or give you this. He might not give you a title. Oh, but he gives you his spirit, which is significantly more. And so here they're promoted, and the jailer comes in, and now he's falling at their feet. Did you see it? They're promoted. When you praise God and when God works on your behalf, don't be surprised when he raises you up. Don't be surprised. And he raises you up. Why? Just so you can feel good about yourself and be like, yeah, you should escort me out. That's our flesh talking. No, he raises you up for a purpose. He, raised you, he raises Paul and Silas up to share with this man. And so when you put God first, when you're praising him through your circumstances, you watch out because he's going to use you. He's going to promote you. God has always been in the business of raising up his chosen from the lowest circumstances to the highest circumstances. We see this with Moses. We see it with Gideon. We see it with Samuel. We see it with David. We see it with the prophets. And, and, and we even see this later on with the Apostle Paul when there's a shipwreck that takes place. He's, he's chained again inside the boat. And then after everything takes place, everyone's looking to him for direction. Here's what I want to teach you this morning. God will takes people all the time at, at their lowliest point. He takes people with no stature. He takes people who, who don't have the title. He takes people all the time and he raises them up. He works a miracle in their situation and people notice. Now, why does God do that? Why doesn't God just all the time just use the, you know, the, the big rigs? You know, why doesn't God always use the, the people, the celebrity Christians, if you will? Why, why doesn't God always, always use them? Because God knows that when he works on behalf of someone who has humbled themselves or maybe life has humbled them, that he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory and they become a trophy of his grace. You see, some, if someone, some celebrity or somebody who's high up, if they do something, well, was that them or was it God, you know? Oh, I love that person. God gets the glory. God gets all the glory in this situation. So in your victory in Christ, he gives you assurance when you're promoted. And then the last thing that I want you to write down this morning, our sermon has been brought to you by the letter P. And so you can see right here, your victory in Christ gives you assurance when you're protecting. This is important. And I want to really take some time to, to open this up. Look in verse 28. I just read it, but I want to read it one more time. So the jail cells are opening. The shackles are falling off. And Paul jumps in. He sees that he's getting ready to run himself through this jailer. He says, Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. It was capital punishment for losing prisoners. And so Paul, you know what? If, if he were in the flesh, he'd be like, man, pff, you, I can't believe you did that to me. Of course you're going to run yourself through. You know, he could have he just let it happen. But immediately he steps in and he takes action. He doesn't hesitate to protect this man. And, and here's what he, he saw. Not only did Paul save this man from 
physical death, he saved him from spiritual death. Because there was the point his heart was open. And you and I, listen to me, you and I have been called to protect others. Notice that if Paul had hesitated, it would have been over. He could have said, I'll show them. But you and I are called to do everything in God's timing. But sometimes that timing is quick. Sometimes that timing, you're not going to have time to think it over or prepare the way I've prepared my sermon today. Sometimes God's just going to call you to act. And I would encourage you with all of my heart to act. You know, in our, in our, even in our church, we have people that have been a part of emergency services. We have EMTs, former firefighters, policemen. And they have been trained to make split-second decisions in order to save people's lives. How much more important is it for Christians? You and I, and it might not be physical things where we're not giving, you know, we're not doing physical CPR, but you and I have been called to do spiritual CPR in people's lives. And we've been called to act quick sometimes. And we've got to know when those points come. That's exactly what happens here. And so many times we let fear creep in or, or we, we think, okay, well, there might be another moment. Folks, let me tell you, I've been doing this for a long time. Sometimes that moment doesn't come. Sometimes at worst case scenario, people die and you don't get that second opportunity and the Holy Spirit's nagging your heart right then and there. Don't hesitate. Be a spiritual EMT. Be someone who can rush in the same way Paul and Silas did. Said, don't do it, don't do it. I was reading an article this week from a guy named M.R. Uh, Dehan, and uh, he was talking about the word chicken. You remember back in the day, you know, it, it's kind of it's come and, and, and gone, but you remember many of us who grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, if you really wanted to insult somebody, he said, you'd call him a chicken. You'd call him a chicken. You know, on Back, back to the Future, if you've ever seen that movie, you know, Back to the Future, don't, don't, don't call Marty McFly a chicken. You know, he'll, he'll go, he was writing this article. He said, you know, a chicken. He said, apparently, whoever came up with that didn't know his chickens. He said, I spring to the, the, to the defense of the grossly maligned fowls, for a chicken is actually just the opposite. I have never seen a greater demonstration of courage, fearlessness, and loyalty than I have seen displayed by a chicken in a time of danger. A hen will sit immovable through the most violent storms, her chicks gathered safely beneath her, that they might be, listen, protected from the storm without. As I read that, I thought about how Jesus compared his own love for the city of Jerusalem like the love of a hen. Do you remember that? Luke chapter 13, verse 34. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. Listen, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Wow. So for you and I, are you feeling a little chicken? Maybe you have felt a little, uh, you haven't felt bold. You've, maybe you felt scared in sharing your faith. Maybe you thought, you know, this isn't the, the right setting or the right place. I want to encourage you today from the power of God's word, be a chicken. Be someone who steps in, doesn't hesitate, and takes hold. 
and says, you know what? God has given me a mission and a victorious authority. My ticket is confirmed and I can carry it about. We will be persecuted. We can pout or we can praise through it. He promotes us and he raises us up to a place of leadership. But he doesn't just do that for no reason. He does that so that we can protect others and we can protect their souls.